welcome to BizNow Reports. I'm Miriam Hall. In this weekly audio series from BizNow, the global leader in commercial real estate news and events, we'll be tackling some of the biggest questions facing the industry and the economy at large. This week, BizNow is publishing a piece that examines the racial and gender diversity at the upper echelons of some of the biggest real estate companies in the world. We did the same thing last year, gathering and collecting the numbers of people of colour and women on the boards and the C-suites of these companies to paint a picture of just how much diversity there is in the leadership ranks. To discuss the issue, we're joined today by Avison Young CEO, Mark Rose. Avison Young has three people of colour and seven women in its 23-person executive committee, and this month appointed the first black woman to the C-suite, naming their new chief legal officer. On its 12-person board, there are three women and two people of colour. Mark is speaking here about pushing for diversity, changing hiring practices, and why he thinks mandated quotas are not the best approach. I think that the industry received its wake-up call. I think that leadership understands how important it is uh, to make change. Leadership is committed. The technology to measure is getting better. And behavior is really where we need to make the change everywhere. So I would say leadership, I'd give a solid B plus, right? Maybe even an A minus of understanding what everybody needs to focus on. The behavior piece, which obviously leads to execution, probably still receives a solid, you know, C at best because it takes a little while to make the change. And again, the C is not towards intent. It's just trying to get there. From our perspective, and, you know, we've had this conversation before, we would love to see the industry follow what the leaders, of which I believe that Avis and Young is one of those, you know, are doing to address sustainability in making a difference, making a change. And so with that, you start out saying, well, okay, this was an industry that was dominated by the white male who has now become the older white male, okay, is what it is. Very good people, let's not vilify them, okay? Really good people who have done great work, but they've dominated. And so the change is really from here on out. And absolutely, the only way that you can take actions and make change is if, is, you know, is if you measure progress. But the progress is today moving forward. There's very little, well, there's nothing that you can do about the past. So going out, and I think the key thing here is only asking those who are enlightened enough to look at criteria of top talent is who you now send out. Those who, and and again, that that comes down to training because in fairness, right? And people hate to talk about this. There are people who are enlightened and they'll get it and they wanna go do it. And then others who they'll grin at you or they'll say, listen, this this just doesn't fit with what I'm gonna focus on. And, 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 you know, and that's okay. Okay, we can't change decades and centuries of behaviors in one day. But what you do is, you know, as my mentor told me, you can't eat an elephant in one sitting, but you can eat it bit by bit. Okay, so let's address those who want to go out there, who see 
talent and what talent means um, and what it looks like. And that is completely open, right? There are no boundaries to top talent. And then the next thing you have to do is actually look for that talent. So I just want to give you, and I know that I've been going on with this, but I do want to give you what we, what Pam and I were able to accomplish here in the U.S., where we had a great U.S. president who was a leader in the industry. He was a white male. And we replaced him, and we made the announcement in September. And that process was, A, hiring an executive search firm and mandating that the team working on the search was a diverse team, a team of color. Okay, in in you know in our case, then said now you have to go out and we want you to search every corner, every industry, every corner. Bring us back the best talent. And I believe they might have called or interviewed about two hundred people, and the final six were all diverse. So working with Pam, they didn't start out saying we wanted the most diverse talent. We said we wanted the best talent, but when you reach to the edges of possibility, the six finalists were all diverse. And so we were just able, and this may not have been in, you know, in your original numbers, but Juan Bueno being named our U.S. president, so one of the top leaders in our company, born and raised in Colombia, and probably, if not the most, one of the only senior leaders in our industry that come, you know, from, from a South American country. But that took a process. And, and it's the process that drove it and the sustainability to say, well, why? Well, great guy, knows the industry, was a McKinsey partner, happened to be diverse. That's how we made the decision. Okay, and it would have been any of the six that we picked. We can't go out. No one, no one can go out and say every hire from here on out needs to be a diverse hire. You can't have quotas. I know that you and I have had this conversation. Quotas are usually lead to disaster. Pretty much every quota that I know, that I know leads to disaster. Because now you're getting people to say, no matter whether they're skilled or not, if you have to make a number, which is probably in your goals and objectives for your bonus, you're going to fill out and put a check mark for measurements. And what you haven't done is reached to the, far, the farthest edges of possibility. And you haven't built in a program to sustain this by onboarding, development, re-recruiting, finding the best places. So compare that process that you went through to hire a new U.S. president compared to what you might do two years ago. Two years ago. Now, remember, Avison Young, and you can check this out, has the most diverse management team in the industry. So we have always been good about this. Okay, but it is very possible that we would have said one or two things uh, two years ago. Um, Somebody's out there that we know well, really talented, top producer, iconic in the industry, let's bring them in because of that. Well, the criteria changed to, and the, the great news is post, post the pandemic, the whole business has changed to more consultative, 
more technology driven. So we also have had a, a slightly more accepting industry to work in. And we've been able to say, no, 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 we're looking for something very specific right now. And as we said, if you start at the, the vendor level that's diverse, then you can look for the top talent that can come ever. But please, and I'm, you know, I'm probably gonna say this three times during this, at the end of the day, you hire the best. You just look for and make sure that the pool is diverse from what you're choosing. Two years ago, it would have been somebody that we knew may or may not have been diverse, but would have been helpful to build the revenues and you know the status of the company. Again, I, I, that's more of an industry statement. When you look at this company, you know the CFO is a woman, the head of investment management is a woman. We can go on and on. The chief legal officer is, is African-American. The head of strategy is Indian. We, we can just keep going. When you look at how you've changed that process, is it precipitated by the events of the last year and a half or was it already in motion before that? Back in 2010 or 11, when we were so happy because we had made some great strides and we were proud of the most diverse management team in the industry back, this is a decade ago. And a young lady came up to me and said, um, okay, this is all well and good. And we're seeing all of the folks who are being brought in, but look at your board. Your board in 2010 were two, you know, two, in 2011 were eight white men. So, you know, you kind of fail here. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And um, said, thank you very much. And she said, you're welcome, dad. Because it was my own daughter that picked out. She happens to work at, at Davidson Young here in Chicago, but she pointed out going, listen, if no one else is saying something, let me just be really clear with you, you know, get an F. It's, it's a board that is it, very talented, but something has to happen. And, and now you look at our board with a total of 12, three women, two men of color out of the 12, eight board members changed in the last five years three are women, two are of color. So getting back to you make change prospectively, it was from that point we said, okay, there are a couple of folks who get seats because they invested in us and they have a contractual right. Okay, not a problem. But where we have the option, an entire company, and this company, the partners vote on their board of directors, more independence and complete diversity came into the, you know, the picture. You hadn't even thought about that till your daughter mentioned it in 2010. Is that right? I would say, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm going to be honest. Yes, but there's an explanation to the yes because it was pretty contractual. It was the founding of the company. It was really the founding of the company. So the founders from Canada in 2008 and the private equity were effectively mandated. Okay. And so it wasn't as easy as can be with her making a statement when, how can we change this? Okay, because like many people, it's easy just to give in to what is, right? And, but when somebody reminds you going, okay, well, it is what it is and there are contracts, but who said we can't ask to change the contracts? So what did you do? How did you actually make it more diverse? Because I can imagine a lot of brokerages say, well, our hands are kind of tied. We've got all these people who get a right to be on the board. 
Yeah, because as you know, boards boards for privately held companies are typically follow the capital, right? That's kind of how that works. Um, so what we did was had a conversation at our annual general meeting. So we, since we're built under the Canada Act, you, you know, you have to have an annual meeting each year uh, for all major impacts, 66 and two thirds votes. And we got up in front of the partners who have gone from 53 in 2008, we're up to 750 partners around the world. And we educated them, you know, and Pam's done an amazing job with us. And, you know, you know, I led from executive leadership because you have to, but, you know, with Pam's help shoulder to shoulder, we started to educate, explain, everybody got it. We made the first change and the second change, the third change. And now really the only question for us is whether we go more independent with the board because we have, cert again, certain seats that have always been dedicated to the, you know, the working partners of the firm. And that again is something that we can really address and make that final change. And now you're looking at a whole other series of candidates. So it was incremental, but then became fast. And it's always education, re-education, <laughs> educate again. <laughs> and folks do get the why that it's not, it, it's not something you do to hit a number. It's something you do because you have to believe in it. So let's talk about numbers for a minute. At AY, as far as I understand, the executive committee has 13% representation of people of colour. The board has 17% representation of people of colour, just going off the latest stats, and that may be slightly off. Women uh, make up 25% of the board and 30% of the executive committee are women. So assuming those figures are correct, are you happy with those figures? Is that something that you think is, is, is good? I'm thrilled. And why wouldn't we, we, we be thrilled? Because again, look at, and, and this is where I'd say, start with a baseline and go forward. We're, we have to be leading the industry. We have to, I, I don't even, you know, just look at the progress. But again, if tomorrow there is a role um, that, you know, the best, if the best candidate's a white, a white male, we're hiring them, okay? So it's all, but it's all about opening up your mind, not to being diverse. That's not the point. Opening your mind to where you're going to look for talent. Because that has been, that has really been the issue. One of my prior companies, one of the big names, I was horrified by, you know, 20 years ago by the recruiting process because it was from six schools and everybody looked like everybody else. And you just came back from that going, this just doesn't feel right. And I also believe that since, you know, Howard is a big name to recruit from, you don't want everyone just saying, well, you know, we're going to Howard now. No, 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 no. There are places everywhere that, that, that we need to go to. And it's the right places. And some of them are going to be fine institutions. And some of them are going to be places where there are apprenticeships. Okay, because the best talent didn't go to Harvard or Howard. Okay, the best talent comes from a lot of different, you know, areas. So you have to build that mindset. Then you have to build people who will look through their unconscious bias to what does top talent look like? 
send them out there. And again, we're doing a great job, Pam. I think we're up to about seven, over 70 or 80% of the folks now have engaged in unconscious bias training. But again, you can count on a subset being evangelists and others who get it and absolutely, and some that probably, you know, probably went through the course a little faster than, than, than you know, than they should have. Um, but let's make this prospective change. So you got to these numbers without any quotas at all. And you made that decision because you don't think quotas are the path to success. In fact, you think that you think they're the path to failure from what I, I think. I think quotas are the path to failure. And here's so why. why. Why do people, uh, I know in plenty of, I can think of two major firms that have got quotas. In fact, why are people so keen on them? Those two are most likely public companies, I would assume. But, but, but that's the realm of the public company you measure because that's all you can do. You can't govern anymore, right? You you govern through, you know, public companies each day wake up with a fiduciary responsibility to only one stakeholder, and that's their public shareholders. That sets up a governance structure. And by the way, these companies are great, so I'm not picking on the companies, but the structure is the structure. And when you have definable goals and objectives and you have to measure them, the only way that you can do that is through a controlled governance structure, particularly for, you know, for a public entity. What does that bring you down to? Metrics. Okay. If you said, because you have to, right? Because there's no other, by the way, there's no other way. A public company, shareholders have an influence on the board. The board has an influence on the CEO. The CEO has an influence on middle management, line management. It's a top-down approach to governance. So all you can do is say, okay, we're going to set minimum goals of what we want to accomplish. The problem is that when you set that out as a global, um, a global objective, not all talent is the same. So they will perceive that as, hey, let's expand the universe and find the right talent. You will also hit managers who say, I need to get in three people of color or women. They may or may not be the best people. I've seen this. Remember, I was a very senior leader at JLL and at Grubb and Ellis. And, uh, you know, I was a REIT CEO. I've seen this. It's all about the behavior. It goes back to the very thing that we started with. If you don't have the right people who are involved in this, then you're going to be a quotas. If you're a quotas, you're going to get performance and execution without an understanding of whether you can sustain it. And this is no different. Our industry has failed. And, and, and I'll try to connect you if you can't connect yourself with this. But think of the millions of tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars that the real estate industry has wasted on CRM systems, thinking that CRM systems are about technology. Well, whether it's Salesforce or whether it's HubSpot or whether it's any of these companies, CRM systems are very good from a technology point of view. What does it come down to? Behavior. And so we have seen this fail over and over again. And guess what? They had quotas. 65% of the top revenue producers must be putting their information into the CRM system. Do they? No, they don't. Do 20, 30, 40% of them do? Absolutely. Do the mandates to put it in impact anything? No, it doesn't. And, and, and so the fear is that if you don't build and train, educate, and then develop your new talent to understand 
what a sustainable path to a diverse collection of opinions, which we define as the proper way to build a company, you're never going to get there. And it's not numbers, it's your culture and your belief system. How do you measure if it's working though, if you don't have numbers? I'm sorry if that sounds like a really dim question. No, no, no it's a great question because here's where you come back to when you go, of course, we're gonna look at the numbers. There's a difference between measuring and having quotas. There's a huge difference there. We measure all day. And if we don't see the change, then the question is not people are in trouble. That's not the point. It's what are we doing wrong, right? Because we're talking about this, the partnership accepted it. It's embedded. And, and by the way, this is something different than anyone else. Moving forward on diversity and inclusion is, is now a, 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 a voted on pillar of, of our belief systems, our strategy, and our budgets. We have our money where our mouth is, okay? And, and by the way, it was, it was why it was the easiest thing to do. I was, if not as one, I was one or number two as the CEOs to sign, you know, the crew networks, see our pledge for action. Because we have 750 partners, 5,500 people around the world who understand this is our DNA. All right. So we do measure it, but we're never going to set a quota because quota quotas to us mean take an action that may or may not be the right action. Now, if we're judging you on whether you made a difference, well, we have those numbers and that's going to impact, you know, your compensation, but it's not going to be a hard, you know, a hard number. And I think I said this to you last time we spoke, maybe we can get to 60%. I, I don't know. What I do know is we're going to go after the best talent every single day, and we're going to go after talent. And the more diversity of opinion you, you have in a company, the better the company is. Do you think there's been any um, anxiety or pushback from white men? Yes. <laughs> how do you, how, how would you, what would you say to a to a white man who's thinking, ooh. Well, you have, you know. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've had those conversations. If you've been paying attention to what we've been doing, you'll see we've had some very tough conversations lately, okay? And in many cases, yeah, we, those people happen to have been white men who were at the end of their careers almost every time. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you have to say is, you know, um, it really wasn't about you being male and being white. Here's what it was. You showed, let's just say indifference to the transformation of our industry. You showed indifference because I don't think anybody stood up and said, no, 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 you know, let's, but showing indifference to growth and transition in the minds of our clients and our people. And if you're not gonna get on board to drive that, then you can't be leading it. Does it go over well? No, it does not. In one case, somebody very close to me, a very long-term friend still hasn't been able to accept it. 
but when you said accept it, you would set the, 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 the industry is transforming, the company's transforming, the world's transforming? No, we've removed a number of people and one that we have removed. No, no, they weren't willing to accept that the world is changing and not that they were indifferent to the change. And again, this is across a large, you know, it was more than a, just a few that we have eliminated from the company right now. And it really is a shame because you try to say, you know, aren't you thinking about our people and the development of time? Don't you want your legacy to be having an impact on a change that is, has, has been so necessary for so long and we have this time and place of making the change? Don't you want to be on the right side of this as part of your legacy? But when it comes down, people have a tendency to think about themselves. Right. These are very, very difficult, heartbreaking conversations. And you know what? They're all going to be fine. But we had to do what we had to do. So you had to fire people over this. Is that the um, right word? No, no, I think. No, no, no. Kind of more. It's a gen, it, it's just a general assumption of leadership, because, again, it's it's technology, it's consulting, it's ESG, it's diversity. Yet, let me give you a great story. Um, we have a senior leader in the New York market. Um, I'm not gonna give you a name because he's 77 or 78. We had a conversation whether he could change, whether he wanted to change. And at first he's like, no, I don't think so. But the mo most incredible transformation he may keep going into his 80s. He's awesome. He's awesome. But he showed us something, right? He said, yeah, I get it. And here's what the benefit is. And again, if it's about developing a young people, I want to be on board. And he's been on board. That, you could put your arms around all day. So there has been some difficult conversations, but there have been some good conversations too, it sounds like. Always. Oh, and I would say mostly, Mm. Great conversations. The poor conversations are, listen, it's who, who is ever happy about removing people from an organization? Not the people that happens to them, but quite frankly, not us either. And, you know, once again, this is why Pam's the greatest, right? Um, she is the person to give us the understanding, sometimes the backbone. Uh, you know, she's just a true leader with us to say, this is what needs to be done and it has to be done with professionalism with class with empathy that we make change but we make the right change for the right reasons so what's the big goal for 2022 do you think on this front? more of the same more of the same I, I i'd be completely full of it if it's it's more of the same we are not finished with the transformation we're not we're dangerously close but we're not finished. This is bringing in a completely new mindset. We think that the industry is so different. And, and by the way, it should have been this way two to three decades ago, but it is so different. Clients have spoken as to what they want, which by the way, it's performance over performance, solving the needs of the clients. But it's also, if you come into my office with eight white men pitching, you're not getting the business. Okay, so there is an element of this as well. And we want to do the right thing. It just also happens to be, and it always has been, the right business decision to meet the needs of what our clients are looking for. 
who our clients want to work with, the resources and the collective intelligence that clients demand. That's how this is all coming to. This is not rocket science. This is step-by-step, -step, methodically, unwavering change, day by day and piece of an elephant by piece of an elephant to make it happen. There's no magic wands, there are no silver bullets, and there are no quotas that will get you to 2025 when you can look back and go, we did a great job. Have you evangelized at all about the quote, your views on quotas within yes. the industry? How's it gone yeah. down? Uh, I'll say, listen, and there are a couple of people, Sonny Colsey and I were on the ULI diversity mm -hmm. panel, just the two of us. Sonny believes a little bit more in quotas and he's very, very, and he should be, by the way, he's an amazing job. And first of all, great guy, done an amazing job. And he evangelizes quotas and he's followed through on it. He is multi-country denominated, but again, I want, you know, listen, you go to Korea and it's a little different conversation than in the US or Canada or UK or Germany, right? We have to remember that all a company can do, should do, is build the global umbrella system of, of beliefs. And then you have to let your subcultures behave and rise up to their, to their fullest potential. So I would never, and I haven't, I, I have embraced Sonny saying, in my company, I want quotas and he can make it happen because he's the decision maker, okay? In our company, I, I have those three letters after my name, but I'm one of 750 partners. And working with the partners, I believe the best way to get them there is education and a complete commitment to making change that's sustainable. So it's just a different way of going about the same issue. But I think whether it was ULI or as you're doing your work, you're gonna see that Sunny's organization, our organization are leaders with two, I don't think they're distinct, but they are kind of two different ways to go about it. Mark, this has been illuminating. I really appreciate you making time. Thank you so much. My pleasure, anytime. That's Mark Rose, he's the CEO of Avison Young. I'm Miriam Hall, thanks for listening.